You're listening to Road to Resilience. I'm John Earl. Today we have a special episode for you. It's going to be a recap of the year in resilience. We're going to go through all the episodes that we listen to and pick out our 10 favorite moments, the ones that really blew us away and stick with us and continue to inform us. And so today I'm joined by Katie Ullman and Nikki Hudson, who are producers on the show, and they're going to help me out. Hey, hello. Um, Road Resilience is now a year and a half old. And in the past year, we've talked to a whole huge range of people going from Paralympians to comedians to patients to oncologists to psychologists. Um, and I want to start out with uh, the first episode that I worked on here, which is episode eight, The Power of Optimism. It was an interview with Deb Gruen, who is a Paralympic swimmer and an all around amazing person who was born with spina bifida which is a very debilitating disease. And with the support of her parents, developed an incredible willpower and incredible will to practice. And so here's Deb. My dad was very influential in making sure that I walked. It was incredibly important to him that I never be dependent on anyone, that I could live in New York City, that I could walk up and down the stairs, that I would never be in a building that was on fire and couldn't get out. And so he every day forced me to go out and to practice walking. And it's probably where I get the idea now that to be good at something, you just have to practice by rote force. You know, we've all heard from a young age, practice makes perfect. It's such a boring cliche. But this, to me, like for the first time, I really felt that uh, cliche brought into stark reality. And so ever since this clip, when I see a challenge, I try to think of Deb Gruen. I try to think of the ways in which I can practice and work towards becoming competent or adept at something. And so thank you, Deb. So any other comment? Okay, let's go to- Our next clip. So Katie, Katie is gonna introduce our next clip, number two. So our next clip was from a mini episode we did with Dr. Steven Krieger, who's an MS expert and neurologist uh, here at Mount Sinai. And he shared some resilience tips, kind of straightforward things that he's learned from his multiple sclerosis patients. Um, and the first one that really stood out to me was to view uncertainty as an opportunity. And here's the clip. For me, I try to bring optimism into the room for all of these patients who get diagnosed with MS and, and recognize that that variability of disease course and that uncertainty, we can harness that for good. We can say, this does not have to be a bad prognosis. This does not mean that you are going to become disabled. Let's take the best possible outcome and then align everything that we do around trying to achieve that best possible outcome. So what he said really stood out to me. I feel like I sometimes take things and I'm not sure what to do with it with uncertainty, but I think with his insight, it definitely helps me to think a little more optimistically. Yeah. Number three. Nikki's going to introduce number three. Yeah, so number three is from our episode with Daryl Hammond, who is an SNL veteran, and it was with Michelle Ezrick, the producer for Cracked Up, which was a documentary on Daryl Hammond and the childhood trauma and his journey to where he is at today. And we brought along Dr. Jacob Hom, who is a psychologist who specializes in childhood trauma. And what was so great about this episode is it was almost like a therapy session. Daryl Hammond and Michelle have these epiphanies throughout the episode as well. So watching that was really special. Trauma and like survival instincts, survival brain makes us want to bifurcate the world into 
you are good, you are bad. Yes. And the more stressed you are, the more you need to divide the world into simple terms. And the way to like transcend the impact of stress and trauma is to be able to tolerate complexity as big as possible. And then the way that I do that and honor my anger about people getting hurt is that I'm not angry at individuals, but I'm angry at trauma itself. That's the most important part is that you're not angry at the person you're angry. It's the trauma itself. It gives you peace. Yeah, it gives you peace. So it's it, it makes them more relatable, but it also you just understand that this person also went through a traumatic experience. That brings us to our next Bring favorite us to our next, moment. Our next favorite moment, which is also from that episode, um, which uh, Katie's going to talk about. So what are we about to hear? So this next clip I found very impactful just it was talking about the hidden traumas that people face and that aren't so obvious as you know some you know what they call the big t traumas like physical abuse or sexual abuse it's just talking about the day-to-day neglect that some people may face and how these moments can have long-lasting effects the field still focuses too much on big t traumas like physical abuse or like sexual abuse right but it's the day-to-day neglect that i find to be the most insidious and the most profound yes you don't need the other stuff that's just gravy compared to the neglect yeah that's already atomic yeah that's my point that the trauma happens moment to moment moment it's not just these big events there are so many moments in this episode when it's like you said, Nikki, when you hear Daryl and Michelle like learning and processing in real time is so cool and so surreal. You can tell that that really hit home for him. All right. Number five. This is a clip from, again, one of the earlier episodes in the season called Somebody to Lean On, which was episode 12. And it was with two MS patients, Kate Milliken and Elizabeth Jones. And this clip is about... Reframing. It's about seeing, um, being in a situation that seems bleak and gaining the skills to see it in a different way. And so that's the clip we're going to hear. I have found no matter what curveball comes, somehow I've got no point where I can reframe. Like I am a reframing master. So, you know, if something's going terribly, it's like it's going terribly so far, you know, like believe, have like blind faith you're going to get a nugget like one little foothold that you're going to hang on that's going to start to change your perspective. I think about that a lot. I think about the reframing master and like, what would a reframing master do in this situation? Like, how would they turn the negativity and the cynicism on its head and find the good and find the opportunity? It's like finding the glass half full. All right. Next rockin' rockin' and rollin'. We are halfway through. This is number six on our list, our top 10 moments of the past year of Road to Resilience. Nikki, yes. tell us about number six. Number six is from episode Forget Kumbaya, The Art of Self-Care with Dr. Cardinal Smith. And she is a lung oncologist. And she happens to be in a pretty difficult area of medicine where a lot of the patients, you know, develop cancer, their long-term relationships, and some of her patients, you know, they end up dying. So let's listen to the clip first, and then I'll kind of give you a little bit more reasoning on that. Sounds good. 
what has now become my practice through trial and error is um, once I have a patient who dies, and it doesn't have to be that same day, but certainly within that week, um, you know, once the house is quiet, um, I go to my desk, I light an electric candle, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I write about that person, um, usually with a glass of wine, but maybe sometimes with water, Um And then when I'm done, I blow out the candle or turn it off um, and shred that piece of paper. And that shredding that piece of paper feels really final and like closure to me. And it very much internally feels like I've now closed the door on one chapter and I'm ready to move forward to the next. I just thought that was really beautiful. I mean... I think that a lot of times we're thinking about the patients and their families and what they're going through, but sometimes we forget about the doctors and the struggles that they go through when patients die. And if they're seeing it more often than others, you know, how do they, you know, get back up on the saddle and keep going? So I just thought it was really beautiful that she discovered this ritual. And I think it could help a lot of people outside of medicine. I mean, I think if there's anything, you know, writing it down on a piece of paper, having that ritual and then letting it go, letting it go. Exactly. Yeah. This is definitely one I have in my back pocket. Yeah. There's a lot of takeaways from this. (laughs) Number seven. Number seven. Okay, here we're going to get into the the immigration episodes that we did. Obviously, immigration is in the news a lot. It's a big topic, and there are a lot of really tough stories. And uh, I think we found some interesting stories of resilience, and um, Katie's going to introduce one of them. It's number seven on our list. What are we going to hear? So in this next clip, you're going to hear from Dr. Craig Katz. He's director of advocacy for the Mount Sinai Human Rights Program, and he was recently part of a study that looked at the mental health of kids in immigration detention. Here's the clip. Perhaps the most striking of our findings, again, not a surprise, it told us in science what you know in your heart, right, was that the separated detained kids actually had higher rates of emotional problems and PTSD compared to the detained kids who themselves on the whole had higher rates compared to the general population in in the U.S. It really amplified also just the need to have that mental health care in those detention centers. And it, it, it was alarming just from, you know, from my knowledge, I did not know what was going on there. So, yeah, that's such an intense clip. Um, and this one's going to be intense too. the key number eight. This one is so intense. Um, I really have no words. It's hard to describe this one in particular. So this episode was with George, who was born in Ghana. Uh, He was a gay man and was persecuted and had to flee the country. And so it's the story of his journey of seeking asylum with the help of the Mount Sinai Human Rights Program. Conditions at detention facilities across the country vary widely. George said one of the hardest things was the fact that nobody calls you by your name. I never, I was never called by my name at the detention. I was about 25. So they'll call you by your bed number until the visitor came and called me, Joe. That's the first time I felt somebody's calling by my name. And it's, it's, it's horrific, man. And, and so what are you thinking as you're there kind of day after day? Uh, <laughs> I don't know how to express my... It wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. So I think that this clip 
sticks with me the most out of all of the episodes because I honestly think that I cried during that part when he said that. It's just haunting to know that, you know, that moment where someone called him by his name, you know, meant so much to him. Yeah. We should say something positive, like, but, but his oh, strength and oh, resilience oh, was... We can say, easily say something positive. It's the like fact he that... He persevered so, through that. So and he, he received excited. asylum, yeah. which is extraordinary. And that he has really a new life in this country and he's looking forward to... This wouldn't Being really surprise driver. me. He wants to be a truck driver, a long haul truck driver. Yeah. See the world. To see, see the, the world country. And see the country. And um, yeah, I'm really happy for him. It's a long journey, but with yeah. a happy ending. So um, number nine is from an episode called Kids Who Can Deal. It was with uh, Dr. Lisa Pressman, who is co-director of the Mount Sinai Parenting Center. And uh, we had her on to talk about how to raise resilient kids. And this kids who can deal, kids who can deal, as she put it. And um, she has a lot of smart things to say about that. She talks about different styles of parenting. But the clip that I selected is about failure. Uh, It's about modeling failure for your kids so they know how to fail well. And they know that they know how to handle kind of the the ups and downs, the waves and crests of life. Let's talk about failure. Because that was another thing that came up a lot. Okay. how do you teach kids to embrace failure and to see it as an inevitable part of life um, as opposed to being just defeated and concluding, I just can't? Right. So in order for kids to learn how to fail well, the first thing is that parents have to learn how to fail well, and they need to learn how to fail well in front of their kids. In their own life. In their own life. Just so that it's a comfortable thing. It's not all of our, we don't just celebrate our accomplishments. If the tone of your house is what was the awesome thing that you did today that made you, you know, move forward in your job or in your relationships or in your life, the underlying message in the house is we we're all like superstars in this house. So there needs to be an ability to talk about like, I didn't get the promotion that I wanted. I'm going to, what are my strategies to try to get it next time? It's great advice because I feel like so often people get held back just because they're afraid to fail. So it's making, you know, teaching your kids that it's okay to fail. You learn so much when you fail. So Yeah, like building a model for kids to accept disappointment and learn from it and then grow from it, I think is extremely important. And to see that it's not the end of the world. Yeah. If you fail. Like we're all human. Yeah. For some reason with failure, there's this feeling like it's like it just is impossible. Like it's going to be the end of the world. And when you figure out that that's not the case. Yeah. And then you're also proud of yourself because you did it anyways. It makes sense. Cool. Perfect. That was a good one. We've gotten to the end. We're (laughs) at number 10. Um, This isn't like the cheeriest way to finish the list. Um Maybe that's a mistake on our part, but it is a profound, I hope you agree, way to end the list. It's from an interview with Dr. Gabriel Sarah, who's an oncologist at Mount Sinai West. And he has some really wise things to say about, not only about telling the truth and the connection between the truth and resilience, but about um, death. And here's what he said. It doesn't have to be ugly. It doesn't have to be ugly. You don't have to laugh about this. No, I never do. But you can be light about it. And if you have no choice but to die, why does it have to be ugly? 
Why can it be beautiful? When I say that, it shocks people. I'd like to have a beautiful dress, why not? You're gonna die regardless. Mm. So it might as well be a good experience. What does a beautiful death look like? I think it's not one way of looking at it. And I think it will change from one patient to the other, from one experience of death to the other. But at least one thing that I would think should always prevail is having peace going into the process of dying, accepting that you're going to die, uh, appreciating what you went through. I find there are five magic words. Maybe there are more people, more, but at least those are pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're dying is to tell people around you, forgive me. I forgive you. Thank you. I love you. Goodbye. If I can say this to my people around me, I think I'll have a beautiful death. Forgive me. I forgive you. Thank you. I love you. Goodbye. Yeah. Just sums up everything in life, basically. Yeah. And it's something, with the exception of the goodbye part, that you can say to the people in your life. Like, right now. You don't need to wait. Yeah, I agree. That's the end of our list. That was 2019. We had a great year. And uh, so we have a lot of really good episodes lined up already for 2020. We have an interview that we've recorded with NFL Hall of Famer Curtis Martin. We also have an interview with Trisha Miley, who is better known as the Central Park Jogger, who, again, is another person with an extraordinary and very public resilient story, which she shares beautifully together with Kristen Doms O'Connor, who's a specialist in traumatic brain injury here at Mount Sinai. And um, so it's really, really interesting. And uh, we think you're going to like it. Um, we have a lot of people to thank um, on our team. Lucia, Dory, Justin, Kathy, Tina, Leslie, Allison, Chloe, Andrea, Michelle, uh, Karen, David, and others. I'm sure I'm leaving out. This is a huge team effort. You know, it includes not only the people who are, who are in this room, who are recording, but also the people who work on our website, who do design work for us, who've done our beautiful cover art, who've, you know, advocated for us in this project. Um, so thank you to everybody. And... Lastly, I want to thank all of you who are listening. You know, this would definitely not be possible without you. Thanks for sticking with us. Thanks for, you know, joining us on this journey of of looking for, for wisdom in tough places. So from all of us here, happy holidays. Have a great new year. And we'll see you in 2020. You're listening to Road to Resilience. You're listening this to Road to Resilience. John Earl. I'm John Earl. <laughs> <laughs> That was great. <laughs> I'm John Earl. <laughs> yes. Winner.